Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that are organized to beat the devil and that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. This week I had the pleasure to interview Reverend Dave Barnhart. He is an elder in the North Alabama Conference. He's an author, a blogger. He's also the pastor of a new church start, St. Junia United Methodist Church, which, interesting to me, was a network of house churches. So a very, very different feel to this interview. I really enjoyed getting to know Dave, and I had some really good conversation with him before and after the actual interview. So do check out his his work. Um, I also found it interesting that he has a Ph.D. in homiletics, and is a, uh, a new church start uh, or a church planter, which those don't always go together. So I think that, I think he brings a, some pretty unique perspective to to that. So I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Um, and so with that, here it is. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so sure. excited about what you have to share. I want to give you a chance to open with telling us the story about St. Junia United Methodist Church. Okay, sure. Well, so we started St. Junia about five years ago, and uh, originally it was more of a con- conventional church plant. Uh, the okay. goal was to to create a worship service and get people to come to the, the worship service. But uh, after a after, uh, little time, we kind of uh, reevaluated and we shifted our model to being a, a network of house churches. Mm. Um, and uh, that's been an interesting learning and growing experience for me because that, uh, uh, you know, the early church obviously was house churches. There were no church buildings for the first 300 years of our existence. Um, But, uh, but moving to this model uh, has been, uh, as I said, it's been a learning experience. We've, we started with two house churches. Uh, Those two have given birth to another one. So each one has given birth to another. So now we have four and we're, about to start a fifth one, wow! Um, which means I'm I'm doing a lot more like circuit rider type uh, <laughs> pastoring. Um, no horse yet, though I imagine. No, no, no horses, thank thank goodness. <laughs> um, but it it really it really is. I mean, I, I do three services on a Sunday and one on a Wednesday, and okay. eventually we'll be doing uh, two on a Wednesday. Mm. Uh, I do have a uh, um, someone who's um, a candidate for ministry who's kind of serving as my uh, my associate. And we we do share some uh, responsibility, but it's a lot of a lot of travel. Um, yeah. Now, if if everybody came together at one time, how how many people would you have? Uh, if everyone came together at the same time, we'd have about sixty five. Okay. Um, and each each house church, you know, will have between uh, a dozen and I think our largest one uh, typically hits about twenty seven. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, that's a lot of people in a house. <laughs> it is. Well, and that, that one's at my house, uh, which is the, the oldest house church that we've had. And so it's had more time to, to grow. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I mean, there, there are times when it gets pretty tight. <laughs> so. Yeah. And so the name of this is St. Junia. Tell us mm-hmm. why you picked her. Well, so St. Junia is, only shows up one time in the Bible in Romans sixteen seven. And Paul says that she is first among the apostles. Mm. Um, we picked her because she's a named female apostle. So in a way, we sort of telegraphed that if you don't like the idea of a female apostle, you're probably not going to like our theology. <laughs> um, the other thing is, um, 
because of uh, her her name has that she's she's been kind of censored at different times from the Bible. Martin Luther changed her name to Junius because he didn't like the idea of a female apostle. So we wanted to say that this is a church for people who've ever felt like they've been censored or cut out of okay, uh, Christian you. faith. And also, uh, you know, we wanted to kind of telegraph that we are interested in in our uh, Christian tradition and in the Bible. Um, there are a lot of a lot of churches with names like the Well or the Way, and, and mm-hmm. we wanted to have a, a name that sounded like a ancient future blend. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of where we were going with that. Now I've had the opportunity to watch because you you have some of your um, sermons or the whole worship service service on Facebook. I think is where I saw that. Right. Typically, we just do the the message because um, sometimes we have conversation and it can be pretty personal. And Uh, so we try to respect people's um, boundaries and privacy. We also have since we have a lot of folks who are um, ex uh, fundamentalists. Sometimes there's some family pressure on people. And um, so having being on video is not uh, not uh, something they want to have happen to, to create stress in their family. So we try to keep the video, the, the camera on me, which is kind of boring. <laughs> <laughs> and we just do the sermon part. We don't we don't do the whole discussion part because uh, we want people to feel comfortable talking in the in the group. And I, I was I was really impressed with even that part, just the participatory nature of what was happening mm-hmm. was really evident. Yeah. Um, t- tell me a little more about that in particular, and then perhaps who who's attracted to to a church like this? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So when because it's a small group, when people come together, if worship's going to happen, we we have to assign roles, right? So people come in, and I say, all right, I need two scripture readers and a and a mm-hmm. liturgist. Um, not well yeah. planned out, just on the spot, huh? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we want we want people to feel like they can volunteer, and we're trying to create gotcha. a, a culture of stepping up and saying, "I'll do this." Mm. Um, if I ask someone to pray, uh, usually we'll have some advance warning because people, ought, not everyone feels comfortable spontaneously <laughs> yes. praying. Um, and and then there are some some kind of rituals we have, like the kids. We have a one group that's got some kids between the ages of you know nine and eleven. We've got about six of them. Um, they process the, the communion elements into the room and they put down the tablecloth and they bring in a candle, which is an LED candle because we've had experience with open flame. And, uh, <laughs> smart. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it really is, it really is very participatory. And then as I'm doing the message, um, there's often conversation. People talk back to me hmm. while I'm talking. Love it. No. <laughs> So um, I'm actually, it's funny because I'm, I'm actually reading some books right now. I'm, I'm writing a paper on uh, conversational homiletics and there's all these books on how to develop a conversational homiletic. I'm like, that's, mm-hmm. do that every week. It's very conversational. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, this has been very fascinating for me to, to watch and to learn from. One of the, what really got us started in this and why I wanted to, to interview you was I'd seen some of the work y'all have done and how intentional you are with discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so say more your, your connection to covenant discipleship and how that's informed what y'all, what y'all do. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was part of covenant discipleship groups in uh, seminary and, uh, and grad school. And I, I really found that uh, uh, helpful, but it's almost been kind of like we stumbled into this mm-hmm. when we started doing house churches that we sort of saw this natural uh, connection. We, I've always liked the, uh, 
the diagram that was used for covenant discipleship, mm -hmm. which is the Jerusalem cross. And it says, you know, worship, devotion, compassion, justice, and it divides it into works of mercy and works of piety. Right. Uh, all that's, I think, very helpful. But I, I did find when I was trying to explain that to, um, to newcomers that they had a hard time understanding uh, what we were talking about. So I worked with a graphic designer who, and who came up with this um, image that's sort of like a series of, a series of Venn diagrams, but it, um, it makes it very clear, I think, that what we're doing is we are practicing love, love of God mm -hmm. and love of neighbor as mm -hmm. individuals and as a community. And at the center of that, I wanted to have witness in, in a prominent place. So um, we put witness in the middle of those, those four different areas of work. Okay. And uh, what I've found uh, really powerful is to see the connections between these, uh, between worship, devotion, compassion, and justice. Mm. When we started the church, I knew I wanted to have uh, a focus on justice because it's an area that a lot of churches neglect. Sure. And um, it's been interesting uh, to understand justice as a way that we love our neighbors as a community, to love mm. groups of people as a group of people uh, is just a, a total mind shift. And I've also seen the way that's intimately connected to worship. Um, so we use, we use common prayer, which is a, um, mm -hmm resource that written by Anuma uh, uh, Okoro and Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. It's a daily devotional. Right. Um, but we, we use that to structure our worship time together because the idea is that we do this, we do this as a group, but then you take it home and you continue it in your daily practice. So that's your devotional practice. And the book itself has a strong justice component. So it's talking about Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. It talks about the saints um, there are great quotes from Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King yeah. Jr. and Nelson Mandela. And so um, it's really like an immersion course in this sort of holistic understanding of discipleship. Um, one of the insights from that justice focus is also how much justice is related to worship. Okay. Uh, because I think uh, like all of these overlap, but there are some of the most enjoyable places are where the overlaps happen, like the overlap between devotion and compassion or devotion and justice. But the overlap between justice and worship, I mean, if you go to, if, one of the problems in church, conventional church today, I think in worship is so much of it is me focused. Mm -hmm. It's on, you know, creating a God experience for the worshiper as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And if you come into a space with people you have been involved in justice work with, like we've been, we've been at a protest together or we've written, we've gotten, we've written letters to our representatives or we've gone to a school board meeting to learn about this policy. Okay. And then we, then we come into the worship space together. It transforms our worship experience. You know, we're also singing justice songs. We're singing, mm -hmm. you know, freedom songs, um, which often are missing in uh, conventional yeah. white North American worshiping environments. Sure. Um, so that, that has been a powerful learning for me. And also I think it's part of the unique culture that we've created with the house churches. Yeah. I think your observation is correct there that especially worship and justice typically are those that are sort of seen as fragmented. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas devotion and worship, you know, if we're doing things well, that sort of overlaps, but worship and justice mm -hmm. definitely tends to, 
it, it almost is too stretched for a lot of it. And I really appreciate how y'all have brought that together as a whole. Can you say a little more about how all those work together and yeah, overlaps? Absolutely. Well, so another, another metaphor I like to use is I talk about those, those four areas uh, as being four chambers of a heart okay. and witness being like the blood that flows through the heart. So witness is not just telling other people, but it's mm. also observing. It's like mm. the actual actions, action of witnessing. So I'm looking for how God is active in the world. Right. I'm observing and naming, oh, this is an act of grace, or this is an act of, I'm, I'm seeing how God is active. And then I can tell about it. And I think a lot of times when we talk about witness, we're just talking about telling, and we haven't trained people to look and pay mm. attention. So like if witness is the, the stories, if witness is like the language we're telling, we're using, then it pervades all of these areas. And like the four chambers of a heart, if one of the chambers is weak, then we have heart disease. Like we, <laughs> the, body, the, the body of Christ isn't, isn't functioning at its full capacity because, you know, our justice is weak or our devotional life is weak as a community. And so we have to have all four chambers and, uh, you know, you can kind of drag that analogy out a little bit more, you know, the spirit coming in and, you mm-hmm. know, invigorating the, the, the witness, whatever. Anyway. So, um, <laughs> but I, I really feel like, um, uh, that holistic understanding of discipleship is, uh, is important to have a healthy functioning church. And what we're really talking about is developing the culture. Um, okay. really, you know, we're trying to create a culture of respect that we are practicing, um, uh, that Christianity is a practice, not just a set of beliefs. Right. And if, uh, if we can create the right DNA and the right culture that, that, that counts for a lot. Um, so it's also the other model I like to use is community organizing. And one of the sayings in community organizing is culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's right. Yep. So, so we're really trying to create the culture that we want to have. Um, uh, and this is, this is not just a technique or a strategy. This is part of developing a culture. Yeah, that was to me very evident in, in what I've seen is it really is a culture of discipleship of intentional. And that, that came out in your preaching mm-hmm. that this Thanks. was, this was, very evident in, in what you're doing. Uh, you know, you said this is house churches. So say a little more about the distinction between what happens in a small group and what happens in worship and how those connect. Sure. Well, yeah, I think, um, so occasionally we will do small groups. The house churches consume most of my time. But, sure. But sometimes we'll have, we'll do a small group, especially Advent or Lent or some, um, if we're doing a book study, uh, or for a while I did, uh, Bible and Brews, which is, you know, we met okay. in the bar, we just talk theology. So um, the, the difference I would, the distinction I would make is that in a house church, the, the key focus is worship. Mm. Um, we're coming together as a worshiping community. And there's certainly, there's teaching that goes on. Um, there's a mutual support. I mean, there's sometimes it winds up being a support group. Okay. Um, but in a small group or a Bible study, I would say the focus is on what the participants are there to learn. Um, so if, uh, if I'm doing Bible and Brews or I'm doing a book study, uh, I'm there as a teacher. Uh, right. As a, as a, possibly as a coach. Um, it's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's like a covenant discipleship or accountability group, I'm just there as a facilitator, you know, mm-hmm. and the action is really happening in the, in the, um, the way they're holding each other accountable or in, 
the book we're reading and, and the study we're doing. Whereas in uh, the house church uh, worship environment, the focus is on liturgy, a message, mm-hmm. and communion. Uh, right. So we do, we do the uh, Lord's Supper every Sunday. Okay. And so we really try to make sacramental uh, part of that, that experience. Whereas, you know, in a small group, sacraments that's not <laughs> right it's, it's irrelevant you know i mean it's not irrelevant but it's not what we're there to do it's uh right uh different different purpose yeah so uh, you've learned a lot in this it sounds like mm-hmm. um tell me how long a how long you've been doing this and then what advice would you give right you've learned a lot out of this well what advice would you give for those in a traditional church uh, i mean i'm gonna assume your advice is not hey do what we're doing <laughs> right oh absolutely <laughs> right? Not. so what advice would you give to, to more traditional churches what can they learn from what what you've done mm-hmm. i think so what i would say for for more traditional churches is the the value of having participation uh particip- con- conversational mm. participation in worship conversational um, participation in worship. i love it yeah, yeah. that's great so, I mean, there's several, like John McClure has a book called The Roundtable Pulpit. Uh, Lucy Atkinson Rose has Sharing the Word. Um, oh, Wesley Allen has a book called The Homiletic of All Believers. Anyway, all, Ron Allen has some stuff. Anyway, there's this, this focus on um, you, you, the, the sermon is a conversation. And even if, if the preacher in these more traditional churches is the um, the loudest voice <laughs> mm, right. for that moment in conversation, that there is a conversation going on between the church and culture, between believers in the Bible, even between the authors of the Bible themselves. And, and we get to participate in that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in, in the world that we're moving into in a world that's more postmodern, that's more concerned about the voices at the margins, um, mm-hmm. that uh, a conversational uh, homiletic. This I, this idea that we are a community of disciples together is is a very important corrective to the sort of sovereign style preaching, the business style preaching, the church industrial complex um, that I think helps make church toxic for so many people. Mm. Um, mm. And I think there are ways to implement some of the, our learnings in a more traditional church. Uh, I definitely wouldn't say that you know. I'm not one of these people who says house churches are the real new Testament way to do church, (laughs) you know, because I think, I think so much of what we do is experimental. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we're trying to find different ways of being community together. Um, But um, uh, I would say that I think that the power in these smaller intimate groups is that there is greater opportunity for one-on-one discipleship. Mm. Um, one of my, uh, another of my big learnings um, is community organizing. Okay. Which is, you know, churches have been doing community organizing for 2000 years, but we've kind of forgotten. <laughs> oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So um, the idea that uh, one of the foundational principles of community organizing is the one-to-one conversation. That right. You go and you have, you have, you have these structured conversations. We typically think of them as pastoral care or evangelism or other kinds of things, but I, right. I just want to break it down and just, this is a one-to-one conversation. You're having an encounter mm. and that that becomes part of the culture of, of who we are as a church. Um, 
we have these one-to-one -one encounters and, and that enables us to say, to, to network with people, to connect needs with resources, to offer uh, coaching, uh, pastoral care, also just empathy and presence and incarnation. Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, and then from that point, identifying people's gifts and strengths, which is also part of community organizing, becomes how we do uh, developing leadership and deploying disciples. Mm -hmm. um, that that's also part of community organizing. And if we could think more in terms of, this is my way of thinking, if we could think okay. more in terms of community organizing instead of how do we build the institution of church, mm. uh, we would be the church more. <laughs> mm. um, a, a lot of times we're really trying to get people to buy into our thing. Mm -hmm. um, and community organizing is about finding out where someone's um, area of self-interest, their area of pain and passion are, and connecting that to the bigger story. Mm. So, so for me, that has been uh, a key learning that I will take with me into the rest of my ministry. If I, even if I don't wind up doing house churches the rest of my life, mm -hmm. um, that to me has been a transformative uh, piece of this learning. No, that's, that's great. That's really helpful. I mean, it's really interesting. One of the things that I hear out of that is the emphasis on community, mm -hmm. right? That there's a yeah. strong emphasis on, um, on community and then finding where God is at and then joining that, right? I mean, uh, different language is very missional. I mean, what you described to me, others would just use different language and say, this, this is very missional yeah. in terms yeah. of what you're doing. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, any other advice you'd give uh, churches looking to do small groups well? Um. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, one thing is, I think we have to, we have to not, let me, let me back up. Like the, uh, like the parable of the sower. Yeah. We just have to start stuff, you know, mm. we just have to fling seed and just see what grows where it grows. I think a lot of times we are so put off by a group failing. Yeah. I, um, I, for me, that was a big deal. So yeah, I, I hear that clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So we started, I'll tell you, when we started doing house churches, at one point we had, uh, we had five, but three of them weren't, weren't healthy. And because mm. I didn't yet know what components we needed. Um, and uh, part of that was learning, uh, the learning process, right? Mm -hmm. But I also think we have to get over this idea that everything we start has to last forever. Mm. You know? Maybe it, maybe it lasts for a season and it meets yep. the people's needs who are there and that's enough. Yep. Um, and, um, but not to be afraid of starting things like, Oh, we have to get the right, we have to recruit the right Sunday school mm. class leader, or we have to get the right. I, I, I mean, I, I, I hear that. I understand it's important to create healthy groups, but a lot, I think a lot of times we just need to figure out, we just need to start stuff and see what works, mm. you know? Um, There's a balance there, right? There, there are certainly yes. There's yeah. Certainly yes. Yeah. Um, anyway. No, that's good. That's that's really helpful. I think you're right. You know, start stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and and see where the spirit leads. All right. right. The spirit of God. Yeah. yeah. Just that's fling, good. Fling the seed. I mean, there's you know, there's there's other philosophies in planting. You know, you prepare the yeah. soil carefully and you dig down and put the little seed in there. That's okay, fine. But. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to fling that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's sort of a control freak, right? Like I'm the one who let's prepare the soil. Let's take right. forever and make sure it's perfect before we go forward. And sure. I need to hear those like you saying, come on now, let's, let's just throw the seed out. Let's see where God's leading. 
So I I very much appreciate that. So Dave, this has been extremely helpful. I know a lot of people are going to benefit from this. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you very much. Enjoyed talking with you. So yeah, there were a few things that I got out of that interview that I want to lift up. Uh, First was the uh, the parable of the sower. Uh, I think he's right in, in that we ought to fling our our seed wide in starting new groups um, and not have a fear of failure mindset of what might happen in a tur- in a small group. And I got to say that's a that's a stretch for me. That's definitely where uh, I tend to reside is in that I'm, I'm afraid what what's going to go wrong, what's going to happen if this doesn't go well. And so I appreciate his his push that sometimes we need to to be experimental. We need to be experimenting. And small groups sometimes just, they last for a season and that's all they're meant to do. So a helpful push, I felt like. Uh, Something else he said that really resonated with me was the one-to-one discipleship. I think that's really key, that sometimes we we definitely can fall in the trap of bigger is better. And I think he's right to remind us that that's where discipleship often happens the best, is in those one-to-one, small, intimate group settings. And lastly, the other thing I'll mention that I thought is is really the reason why we ended up having this conversation was how he has been able to connect worship and discipleship, devotion and justice, all those themes we talk about with covenant discipleship all together very intentionally, both in worship and in small groups. So I really appreciated what what Dave had to say. So again, check out his work. You can find him online. You can find more information about his church. Uh, I believe it's stjunior.org is their website. Very much worth checking out. So again, we hope that you'll be interactive as with us as possible. So reach out. You can find me on Twitter at Rev Scott's Tweets, also at UMC Adult Form for adult formation. Uh, you can find our email on our website, umcdiscipleship.org, with a lot of other resources that we've got there. So reach out to us. Let us know what, what you need, what you're looking for in in these episodes. And I want to thank those who helped make this possible. I uh, thank the person behind the soundboard and Blake. I uh, thank Matt Carlisle, our web producer, and Steve Horswell Johnson, our executive producer. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org. <laughs>